This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 561 of the Eventing Radio Show, brought to you by Eventing Riders Association of North America. This week on the show, we speak to Jenny Autry, who's recently been named as the USCF Managing Director of Eventing. I'm Liz Halliday-Sharp, coming to you this week from Rancho Santa Fe in California. And this is Paul Tapner, coming to you this week from the very much not sunny UK. And you are listening to the Eventing Radio Show. So, Liz, you've made the big move back across the pond to the United States, where you are now permanently based. You've you've permanently left me from this very, very muddy place. <laughs> yeah, I've heard the weather is less than savory at the moment, so I'm not... Yeah, actually- we, we have been flooded for about two months, pretty much. It sounds horrible. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's been a really, really crazy few weeks for us. I mean, we literally... Hit the ground in Ocala about three weeks ago, three weeks today. And then the next week, I really thought I must be crazy. But I went and competed a nice young horse in the uh, CCI two-star long at the Ocala Jockey Club, um, which was fantastic, but a little bit mental in the mix of everything. Um, and yeah, we've just been back and forth. We've been to Kentucky to see our place there. And we we're now in California, just visiting my mom for Thanksgiving and I'm not very good at taking time off in the winter. I'm not good at taking time off ever. So I'm sort of sitting here drumming the table going, I'm ready to get back to work. (laughs) I'm ready to get back to everything. So I'm trying to teach myself to have some chill time, but it's it's a struggle. (laughs) Well, surely, you know, it's Thanksgiving. Surely you've just had some chill time and some family time and all that sort of thing. Did you you wind down a bit? Well, yeah. I mean, we had a a really wonderful meal yesterday. I've got some family here visiting and um, yeah, we had a really nice time and we were all in a food coma by about 9 p.m. So um, we're uh, up and running today, ready to do some exercise and hang out and try and uh, spend some more family time together. So I'm doing my very best. I am. You're um, doing your your best to have some downtime because (laughs) it is the downtime. This is eventing's off season, you know, yeah, a little bit in Australia and uh, America. Sometimes the off season gets a little bit blurred, and it, you just keep going through there because you have such nice weather. But, but actually, you know, in the in in Europe, it's very very defined. You know, the season starts uh, April, goes through to October, end of October. So we're at the end of November now. So we everybody's had a month off now. Some people are still doing some indoor shows, but that's not really eventing. It's just show jumping. But you know, we put some indoor eventing, put some arena eventing in there as well uh so uh all sorts of fun things like that going on over the, over the winter and you know the the u.s scene is it is it completely wound down now for december or is there still stuff going on i think it's all done now as far as i'm aware but it really doesn't doesn't give us much time off it's sort of like a month of no eventing and then we kick off again in early january so um my plan probably is actually to run some of the young horses in in the uh, early part of the year um, because then when things get a lot busier with the older horses as we build up to the summer, then I can give them a little holiday then. So it's it's a little bit about planning, um, but it does just keep going forever, which I suppose suits someone like me because I like to be busy. But at the same time, uh, you can just run yourself into the ground. So it's finding a, finding a good balance. 
Well, and as we found out from speaking with our guest this week, uh, Jenny Autry, uh, there's no rest for all of the administrators of our sport. They are all deep into planning and deep into uh, analysis. And one of the things that's just happened uh, early in in November was the uh, FEI, our international governing body, had their AGM. So they're an annual general meeting where they uh, get every delegate from all the way around the world all coming in to down about what discipline they are. They all went to, to Moscow and Russia and uh, and had their general assembly there and, and every, all of the rules for the following year get voted in. So, of course, this is where we learn uh, what changes are going to happen for, for next year. And I know this is, you know, really hugely, you know, popular and, and, and well, popular controversy <laughs> uh, is, is the fact no more top hats and dressage. I know I did see that, and actually, do you know what? I'm 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 on board with that. Um, I myself have been wearing a helmet um, for FEI dressage, geez, for a good while now. I'm not even sure how long, maybe five years. Um, and uh, I know it was something where a few riders were taking a stand ages ago, and and now I think this is the way our sport is going, and we're trying to send a message to the younger the younger riders of the world and everyone coming up through the grades that you know it is. Important to protect your brain bucket, as we would say. And, um, you know, you can fall off warming up for dressage or doing your test just like you can any other time. We've seen some really top riders suffer some some really large detrimental injuries when they were just riding on the flat. And like I say, I think it's a message to everybody and coming up through the grades and moving into a sort of a, a safer sport, so to speak. Indeed. I mean, it actually was around about 2011, 2012, when the, the change started to happen. It started to become high-profile riders stopped wearing their top hats in both pure dressage and, indeed, uh, eventing dressage. Uh, I have to say, I was one of the, the, the leaders in that, um, I, and two reasons. One, because I believe in it uh, wholeheartedly, Me and too. I have done. Uh, I never let anybody on my yard, including myself and, and, and anybody who works for me, even if they don't work for me, nobody on my yard is allowed to sit on a horse at any time without a crash hat on. And that has been instilled in me um, for a very long time. And, and I'll, I'll share with our listeners why that is. As a young lad, there was a mate of mine called Guy Wallace. And um, Guy had a, a, a fall at a competition, knocked his head, had some headaches, had a lot of problems. But he was the type of guy that he didn't ride with a crash hat at home. Um, and he was, uh, you know, a few weeks later found uh, led uh, unconscious in a field, uh, having been riding his horse out in that field, and he's been basically in a fairly vegetative state ever since. And oh, indeed, geez. you know, he was uh, a, a guy my age in our in our early twenties and uh, winning at the top level, at the high performance level, and it just really sh- and it, you know it shook the whole eventing community out in Australia all those many many years ago back in the 90s and letting people know how old I am now uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it, you know ever since then that's that's been my my thought and so when actually people started to to um, to not wear their top hats and, and wear a crash hat I was very much pro it and I was probably I think the one of the first two if not the first and maybe the second rider to do so at badminton to to wear and indeed at Burley to wear a crash hat uh, and that was I remember it was about 2011 2012 because that's where the the uh, London Olympics were and uh, Charlotte Dujardin famously uh, really brought it into the spotlight by not wearing a top course. hat in pure dressage uh, in the London Olympics uh, and so uh, slowly you know here we are six years later uh, it was 
quite remarkable how slow uh, we um, equestrian people can be to take up on our own personal safety. Uh, it's finally become a rule whereby you have to uh, now wear um, the uh, the uh, crash hat. And I, you know, I used to be quite obnoxious and, and, and vocal on social media and then say, look, let's get rid of the tails as well. I hate top hats. I hate tails. Get rid of the tails. We, why are we wearing all these stupid oh no, ties, I like tails. jackets? <laughs> and exactly, that's exactly the response. And I, the amount of uh, uh, vilification I received back on social media for um, – for, for voicing this opinion, everybody going, no, 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 we we love tails, we love tails, we we need the tails, and oh, you know, don't take away our right to ride in tails and all that sort of thing. I was like, yeah, I know, I get that, I love tradition, I'm I I do like tradition, I respect tradition, but actually sometimes I don't like tradition when it's 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 holding our sport back, and 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 you know, we're not seen as a sport if we're wearing top hats and tails, you know, no other sport is going to wear that type of kit. You wear um, clothing appropriate to enhance your performance. And I'm sorry, a top hat and tails and a tie certainly does not enhance my performance when I'm riding and dress up. I'd far prefer to be <laughs> wearing some, you know, something else. And and indeed, then they were saying, oh, I remember Mark Todd saying, what, you want me to ride around in, in skins now, do you? And I was like, well, actually, fast forward now, and the vast majority of cross riders going cross country do actually wear skins. They do appreciate the fact that it is actually, you know, performance enhancing to a degree. So, um, you know, it's amazing how these 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 things metamorph them ah, can't speak metamorphosize would that be a word i don't know uh, <laughs> themselves into existence um but also um you know how uh, these things get dis- discussed on uh, social media and i think that uh, probably brings us on to our next topic um uh, liz because you were uh, voicing an opinion to me earlier uh, about social media and, and perhaps the way it's being used uh, m- m- quite recently with some recent examples in the u.s well, I think so. I'll be a little careful. I deliver this, but um, so social media is a is a big part of of what we do, and it's it's become a big part of sport. It's it's something that, um, you know, personally, I'm not someone who voices my opinion every five minutes on social media, whereas many people I know do. But that's not my thing. Uh, but however, I I am. Uh, involved in social media because I know it's very important to my sponsors. It's uh, important to my business, um, you know, in various different ways like that. So we have to stay involved. I think that is important. And it's it's a, a big part of sort of how advertising works these days and how, um, you know, sponsors improve their, their sales is having support on social media. It's what our culture is. But there is a time when I think sometimes everyone needs to take a step back and think, think before they write, so to speak. I think it's it's a little bit like, you know, when you send that that email to someone and you're angry. And my mother taught me years ago that you, you never write it with uh, with anybody in the address bar. Just write write the letter, say everything you want to say, and then close your computer and go and read it the next day. And then you'll find that you censor it. And then you can put that person in and send it. And I think a little bit people need that mentality when something does upset them on social media or they're upset about, you know, a new concept or, or a certain person or anything you know how, how an event has dealt with something there is a time and a place in, in a correct way to deal with this and I think where we've led to is everybody is just spouting opinions and, and getting angry and throwing things out on social media without thinking about any repercussions or or how it's going to be taken from the other side or how it makes themselves look on a professional manner and um, I feel pretty strongly about this I just think I think everyone needs to take a deep breath and just think before they post <laughs> that's just what I'm saying 
indeed you know i there's there's so many different things we can say like you say that's a great example of of write the letter but then you know sleep on it overnight and reread it before you send it and and certainly that was a uh, something that used to be said when we used to handwrite letters would be the same thing. You know, you, you don't actually send it until you've uh, slept on it overnight if you're writing a letter in anger. Um, mm-hmm. But a, an email, like you say, in the address bar can can be the same thing. Uh, you know, I was always taught if you don't have anything nice to say any, about anybody, then don't say it. You know, you don't, okay. <laughs> just, that was, you know, you only uh, publicly, uh, publicly uh, sprout, um, you know, it, the nice things. Don't bother saying uh, vilification things or, or or, or bad things about somebody, but you know, there, there's always two sides to every story, and everybody's allowed to have an opinion. But I think it's when uh, those opinions are are clouded by, um, uh, you know, prejudices. You know, your your previous opinion of someone. So you know, let, let's let's pull an example out there. And I love within my master's team, we love calling it Whipgate. All right. So uh, <laughs> last year, uh, you know, not Watergate, but we had we had the eventing whipgate version and and proled uh, Oliver Town and you know he was waving his whips around on his horses uh, at badminton trying to press them to to win that grand slam and to win the you know he was winning everything at the time and he was uh you know he, he was pushing the horses hard and 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 you know he, he sort of forgot that the, there was a bird up in the sky camera up in the sky looking down on him the whole time and he he pushed these horses when he think perhaps thought not everybody was watching and and he got a little bit fa- unfairly treated by the bbc in terms of the way they edited the program and then he got um himself very much in in a bit of a bother by the way he answered the uh, the interview uh, on bbc which did him no favors whatsoever and uh, i i think i suspect you know if he watched that back now he'd probably want to crawl under a stone and go oh you idiot Oliver, what the hell did you say that for? Um, but you know the amount of people that came out and and uh, abused Oliver for being the mm. and, and you know he's the most terrible person in the world. No, he's not. He's a human being. He was just trying to do his best by these horses and trying to do his best by these owners and trying to do his best by his whole career. You know, okay, it it might have been a, a little bit beyond what some people have the opinion he should have done in which case guess what he got official warnings and then there was lots of people that said he should have official warnings and he did so yes. that's fine you know it was the system with. did its job yeah the exactly. system did its job and and if we're thinking the system is not good enough then that's fine that doesn't make oliver a bad person it just means we need to be vocal about making the system better which some people were and actually you know it's nice to know in the in the most recent uh, agm which uh, we we quickly talked about the FEI uh, and at General Assembly that the, the the sanctions against riders have been you know updated the process for recorded warnings yellow cards dangerous riding abuse of the horse have all been updated now yes, I'm not saying true. it's been updated as a result of that particular example but that that has been uh, that process has been changed and that, and that's something that our administrators will always be doing they will always be changing the rules to accommodate whatever new situation may have arisen in the last 12 months 24 months whatever it might be but that doesn't mean that the people necessarily uh need to be vilified and to be uh, abused online and be made you know to be feeling like they are horrendous people uh just because they have perhaps been the the topic of of this conversation so uh thankfully whipgate has been and gone and 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 oliver is back in favor because he's back winning competitions and he's patting his horses an awful lot these days and 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 hugging them and kissing them which is is nice to see (laughs) so you know (laughs) 
<laughs> but Oliver um, is always actually, you know, anybody who knows him, he is good to his horses for the most part. And I, I'm not going to say that I agree with what happened on that occasion at badminton or, or for what he said, but he is not a terrible horseman. And I think you'd agree with me there. Would you, wouldn't you tappers? Like he uh, absolutely. is, he, he is, is good a, by his horses. He, he cannot be as successful as Oliver has been by being a, a, a mistreating horse person. Certainly you know, not. we, we, we know that you have to love the horse. You have to love the animal. You have to want to be around horses and, and treat them with respect uh, and, and, you know, give them a, a fantastic life. And his whole team uh, will give those horses the most amazing, uh, care and and life so uh you, you can't be that successful without that so you know sometimes the the sportsman might overtake the the horseman and 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 you know boundaries might get decision. pushed yeah you might you might make poor judgments and poor decisions in the heat of the sport um but it but that occasionally happens and then like we said this is why the rules get changed and and you know tries to guide the 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 riders to to do to always do the best even when in the heat of the situation so some of the other things that came out of the fei uh general assembly and all of these new rules that we have to cope for in our new sport okay ongoing and i think now finally <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe is the flag rule. So the the new final updated, yeah, you can know where this is going. Uh, rules for the flag rule has has been released and defined and and put out there. Now I know it's something that we've discussed numerous times before, and indeed on the last podcast, not not uh, you and I, Liz, but uh, uh, episode five sixty, they discussed the flag rules. Go back even further. So get on your Horse Radio Network uh, website. Go back to episode 546, and we have Harry Mead on there again talking about the flag rule. It's the issue that just won't go away. But uh, indeed, it is actually uh, now being defined uh, about what the rule is. And, and now, Liz, you're a high-performance person. You're out there getting between those flags all the time. Have you learnt the rules? Have you, have you read the definition? Well, I feel I feel like I spend my life reading all the different definitions. Um, look, I am I aware of the, the latest. It's hard to keep up because I feel like it changes all the time. But well, it certainly let me was educate. You know, it's you been this. a big issue. But please tell let me, tell me, me because I don't want to get in trouble and get fifteen. All right. Penalties. So the revised, the most recently revised, as in November twenty nineteen, the revised version of the FEI's much debated flag rule regarding missing flags is adopted by the General Assembly. So, clear, zero penalties. The horse is considered to have cleared the fence when the head, the neck, and both shoulders of the horse, but to the point of the front of the saddle, pass between the extremities of the element or the obstacle as originally flagged, keyword originally flagged, and the hindquarters of the horse jump the dimensions of the fence. So, the hindquarters have to get a height of the fence, but mm-hmm. they don't have to be inside the flag. Okay. So I this is a fair. bit of a blend between the original intention of the rule, where the horse's head, neck, and shoulders had to go through the flag. But the hind legs now, instead of, you know, we had that case where Stuart Tinney, the, the head, neck, and shoulders mm-hmm. through the flag, but the hindquarters didn't even remotely try and jump the jump. And he literally, you know, did a sideways flop through the flag. Um, yes. Well, now it's saying the hindquarters of the horse jump the dimensions of the fence. So they, they jump the height and the width of the fence. Okay, so as long as the, the, the horses actually seem to go up in the air, even if the hindquarters are not inside the flag, but the mm-hmm. head and shoulders are to the front of the saddle, then you're okay. Right? And what about the front legs? So they're not, they're not mentioning that. So if the horse were to say, leave leg on the fence, 
of the front half go? What if one of the legs kind of swings out past the dimensions of the jump? Is there any to eat? No, or, or is it purely just the, the head, neck, and see, shoulders? See, you, you should have got involved in this debate earlier, Liz, and you could have made it all clear. <laughs> there's no mentions of the horse's front legs, so there's okay. uh, or nor the hind legs. It's just saying hind quarters so, okay. and shoulders. All right, so you've missed the flag, and you get 15 penalties. When the horse is considered mm-hmm. to have missed the flag, if part of the horse's head, neck, or shoulder to the point of the front of the saddle, jump outside the extremities of the element or the obstacle as originally flagged. But the hindquarters must jump the dimensions of the fence. So you've jumped both front legs and hind legs, using Mm -hmm. our terminology, has to jump the dimensions of the fence, but any part of any shoulder or any part of the head or the neck is on the wrong side of the flag. Mm Mm-hmm. 15 penalties, but you've dumped, okay. you've jumped the height. Yep. So if you've straddled the flag, for instance, correct. 15 that's penalties. not going to be considered a run out. It's just 15 penalties. Exactly. Okay. So next one, 20 penalties. A horse is considered to have run out and got 20 penalties. If it was presented at the uh, obstacle and it avoids the obstacle in such a way that the head, neck and both shoulders fail to pass between the extremities of the element or obstacle as originally flagged, or the hindquarters have not jumped the dimensions of the fence. Continue yes. on course with incur elimination. So let's say the horse is trying to run out. You pull the horse's head and neck through the flags, but the horse's feet never leave the ground, and especially the hind legs never leave the ground. Uh, even though you've got the horse's head and neck snaked through the flag, that's 20 penalties. You've had a run yeah. out. So well, I think um, I think this is look this this will continue to be an issue because it's it's always down to the discretion a little bit of the grand jury and the judges. But things are we do now have cameras on all of these fences, and what I like about this rule is it is defining how the hind legs how as long as the hind quarters have jumped the dimensions of the fence. So, for instance, there have been certain occasions where the horse left a leg at a corner genuinely tried to jump the fence succeeded in jumping the fence but because they'd left a leg the hindquarters had skewed off to the side which is purely just physics it's the horse trying to right himself and not fall um where i felt you know there probably shouldn't have been a 15 penalty rule because the horse genuinely made every effort and did clear the dimension so from that side of it i think this is better but look it's always going to be difficult isn't it there's always going to be the debates and it, and it is difficult in our sport because there are so many people that want to enjoy eventing that don't know the intricacies of the rules. I mean, geez, if we as high level riders struggle to understand them, I'm sure that the average uh, spectator is going to have trouble understanding it. So have they said anything, Tappers, about how, when and how they're going to be awarding these 15 penalties? Because I think one of the toughest things lately is that there have been riders who've been considered clear and then much later on were given 15 you know, or vice versa, we're given well, 15 think and about then that, subsequently Liz, eliminated. Because actually, that, that's the whole concept of this, is mm-hmm. that, you know, there was riders finishing courses at Badminton and Burley thinking they'd gone clear, only mm-hmm. to be eliminated for jumping the wrong side of a flag, when they'd clearly jumped the jump, but perhaps got the flag a bit wrong. So, um, you know, the, this is the whole reason that they said, well, it's fairer to award them 15 penalties when they've most definitely jumped the jump, but just yes. perhaps 
you know, got a bit offline and, and knocked the flag in a way that you really can't call it clear. So yes. they've taken away the elimination. And, and so that process will still happen. There's still going to be video reviews possible. But that that um, process, there there's an enormous amount of technology and innovation going on at the moment. And I was part of a, a trial at, um, or I've seen the results of a trial at Poe, uh, Five Star just recently. We are trialing different technologies for Event Rider Masters. And certainly I'm hoping to um, uh, let you in on some innovations uh, early next year of, of what we will be doing in video replay and in you know in real time you know we've already incorporated um, video replays of 15 penalty rules into our live production so that mm. by the time um, the, 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 the ground jury is watching that, whilst the next rider is on course. And by yes. the time the last rider is finished, they've already made all of those 15 penalty decisions. There's no waiting around dark nights uh, late on a Saturday or a Sunday night trying to figure out the results. You know, we, we don't want that to be happening. And, and certainly that with Event Rider Masters is something we're working towards, along with, you know, keep going, going with those video reviews is the technology of there's a company uh, that was at Poe that was uh, analyzing the, the percentage of the horse that passed it between the flag. So it is okay. actually using AI machine learning oh, wow. uh, to analyze the video picture and send it back to them in real time uh, and judging whether it's, uh, you know, percentage-wise, how much percentage is inside the flag and outside the flag and giving it a green flag or a red flag depending on whether it was clear or not uh, or so, a yellow flag if it was undecided. So, you know, there's yeah. there's technology like that and we've got our own little idea of how we're going to do it for Event Rider Masters with some cool graphics. Um, bring into that now the, the new rule, the four-star championships and higher-level events that if you have a flying change that varies by three points or more between any judges, then the ground jury have to do a review uh, of the official video as soon as possible after the wow. test rules so again and poe with our production company the same production company we use for the masters we were trialing a system of how we were going to do that uh, as part of the review process and and, and indeed it, it happened uh in every session of dressage the the ground jury had to come and re-watch those uh those flying changes and then scores will be changed will they scores have to be been... changed yes, wow absolutely. that's great they have I to be changed that. that's so, excellent um, you know, because some if there is uh, a, a mark varies by three points or more between the judges, you know, if somebody's giving them a seven and somebody's giving them a three, um, yes. somebody's made a mistake. You can't have a flying change that's worth a seven and a three from just because you're watching it from a different angle. It's either a seven or it's a three. Okay, you might think, well, no, I think it's a six because of so-and-so. No, I think it's an eight because of so-and-so. All right, there might be a difference there. But actually, every single time that they had to review it, one of the three judges had to change their mark because they, they were able to say, yes, my mark was wrong because now on this video review... Because now I can see it actually was clean see. and maybe it wasn't a good change, but it was clean, and so therefore it should be a five, not a three, or something like that. Yes. Exactly. And interestingly, it was the same flying change in the, the same movement... In movement 21, uh, it was the same movement every single time. It was the huh. one flight change that the that some of the judges can't see. Interesting. You know, and, and we made sure we had our camera positions correct so that we could get that. So, you know, things like that. It, it's, this is excellent. Know, evolving, evolving our sport uh, and getting the, the video replay. And although they've started to, the FBI have started to embrace video um, judging, there's a whole host of rules that haven't been created that will need to be created in the very near future. So what I think is um, great about this, Tappers, um, is especially going back to this flag ruling is what I hope from the way I've just listened to you explain this and, and how the ruling works now is that, number one, 
as a rider, you should have a pretty good idea whether it truly was a run out because, you know, as riders, you know, when you have that tricky jump at a skinny, I'm sure you were the same. You're pretty switched on to, right, where is the flag? Yeah. You know, like, where is it? And it, you can, if you've had both shoulders and legs outside the flag, you know it's a run out. So, and then if you have chosen to carry on, I'm hoping that this is now in a defined way where it can be reviewed quickly and you can be pulled up on course. Is that is that the idea? So that the horse well, does not be, complete the you event. You won't be pulled up on course. You won't be pulled up. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Fif- you'll be awarded the 15 or the 20 penalties and you, you might not necessarily know that until you get to the end. Um, but either way, that shouldn't mean you need to be pulled up unless the 20 penalties is a cumulative and you're being you know eliminated for accumulative refusals then yes absolutely you will get pulled up but do you not think it would be better for the for the horse or or are we just saying now the rider should clearly be able to determine that themselves there shouldn't be no i think the rider has to yeah, make at a the end of the day you have to be the grown-up and, 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 and the right the rider will make yeah. their decision and then the rider will then have Fair to argue enough. their point if they don't if the if the judges make a different decision well then in arbitration afterwards the rider will have to argue their point won't they you have to yes you have course. to stick by your own decision but like you say because of the ruling where it it's the head neck and shoulders right. yeah. it's in front of the rider the rider should actually be able to see whether they are on the correct side exactly, of the flag or not. yeah so you, we shouldn't have that as many of those occasions where oh it's 15 oh it's elimination and that suddenly changes later in the evening it's it should be easier to have it one or the other we hope, Correct. we hope, we hope. <laughs> Indeed, we do hope. But uh, this, like we said at the beginning, it's the issue that just won't go away. Indeed. So uh, hopefully it has gone away and these rules will make it all good and we won't be discussing this anymore. The Eventing Riders Association of North America is the collective voice of riders, equine professionals and owners in pursuit of enhancing the growing sport of eventing in North America. In cooperation with our members, governing bodies, related committees, and organizers, ERA of NA works to improve the overall welfare, safety, visibility, and growth of the sport. ERA of NA, your voice matters for the sport of eventing. Jump in and engage by becoming a member today. Find them online at www.eraofna.com. Joining us now on the Eventing Radio Show is the newly named USCF Managing Director of Eventing. It's Jenny Autry. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Jenny, we wanted to get you on the show because obviously the eventing season is winding down. Um, We've just had our last events of the season um, all over the USA in various different places. And um, it's been a big year for you. You've taken over as USCF Managing Director of Eventing. It's been a big step forward from your uh, large title at Eventing Nation. And we just also released the high performance training list. There's been a lot of things changing lately, hasn't there? Yeah, it's been something of a whirlwind, and I feel like now I'm about four months into the job, so had more time to wrap my brain around it all. And of course, getting the training list out is a big deal because it means that we are now officially focused on horses that are going to be duking it out for Tokyo next year. So it's definitely an exciting time for US eventing, and it really doesn't feel like much of an off season at all, does it? Because we're all so geared up for next season already, but I suppose we have a tiny bit of downtime before we really get rolling next year. But yeah, we're, we're thrilled. We're excited about this list, and it's definitely going to be an exciting year as we count down to the Olympics. 
So, Jenny, there's been a few changes here and there, and I know that, that you and Eric and, and all of the high-performance team are working hard to sort of keep tweaking the program and keep making things better and better. Can you um, just fill us in on a few changes when going forward with this new high-performance list? There's quite a few riders on the list now, aren't there? Yeah, definitely. So the elite and pre-elite list went from 10 horses up to 16, and the idea was that, you know, we really have a number of combinations who have showed strong form through the second half of the season and really could step up to be Tokyo contenders next year. So I think it's great. It creates competition amongst the riders. It's going to really push everybody to really bring their A game to the forefront next season in the spring and show who's ready to step up to perform at the Olympic level. So uh, I think it's a great group. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is this list isn't just about Tokyo. You know, we're also building a program for the future as well. So you have some younger horses on here who are going to be horses more for Petoni in 2022 and even Paris in 2024. So, of course, we're super laser focused on Tokyo next year. But it's also always in the in the back of our minds about building a program for the future and those future championship teams as well. So I think it's going to be a really exciting spring as we see who's ready to step up, you know, who's ready to stake their claim and say that they're ready to go to Tokyo. So it's definitely, definitely going to be a nail biter in the spring and Kentucky, the Land Rover Kentucky three day event will be one of our three remaining selection trials. So all of the selectors will be at Kentucky. And then we also have badminton horse trials and the Jersey Fresh International three-day event, which are on the same weekend in 2020. So those three selection trials are the ones that are remaining. So it's, it's getting, it's getting close, you know, it's, but there's still a lot left, a lot of time left as far as people to show that they're ready to step up. Indeed. Um, it's all about doing well at those particular competitions that you mentioned there, Jenny. So uh, all focused on that and, and getting your riders to understand that they have to focus on that. And, you know, do you put them under pressure and, and really explain to them that, look, you have to perform at these events? Or is it a little bit like, well, you know, if you're, if you're qualified and you're, you're doing well at lots of other events or, or, or how, how does that work from the, from the rider's point of view? Yeah, absolutely. Tappers, it's really, it's a huge emphasis that Eric Chavander has put on uh, decreasing the number of selection trials so that we can have all the riders competing against each other. So that's part of why we have fewer selection trials in 2020 is so that all the riders can really be performing and showing who's the best competing against each other on the day. So there's definitely an emphasis there. And when Eric started his new program, we it's called the pathway program. You know, we're about two years into it now, but really the last year it's been getting fired up. And when he started it, it was talking about a culture of competitiveness and creating that culture. And now we're really starting to talk about creating a culture of excellence. So excellence in how we perform on the day, excellence in how we conduct ourselves and the athletes conduct themselves and really presenting to the world, who do we want to show we are as a U.S. eventing team. So there's definitely an emphasis on that as well. And I think when you look at Tokyo, we're potentially facing some of the most challenging conditions in an Olympics of our time between the logistical challenges and the climate. You need athletes who not only are going to be able to perform on the day, but who can show that they're mentally strong and mentally tough as well. 
So I think having those fewer selection trials is really going to put everybody in a place where they have to step up and show that they can perform under that pressure because it's only going to be even more of a pressure cooker once we get to Tokyo, of course. Indeed, yeah. So you are, you're actually saying, look, guys, this is the day you need to perform on. You need to perform your best on this day. There is no other option because, you know, that's what's going to happen when you're at the Olympic Games. You have to say, this is the day you've got to perform on. So show us what you've got type of thing. So and, and does that mean that the, the team will almost sort of decide itself? I mean, you mentioned that there's going to be, uh, you know, selectors at those events. Um, but, you know, is it is it purely results based on those on those high pressurized events and those key events? Or is it, uh, you know, a, a slightly bigger picture? You know, may, maybe uh, one horse might have a, an off day on on, on one uh, particular event, but actually, you think it's still suited to Tokyo? Yeah, of course. And there are other factors that play in, and we have our selection procedures published that list all of those other factors. And of course, it's not just the results. Like I said, it's also um, athletes and their, you know, mental and physical fitness. We have that written into the selection procedures as well. So it's definitely more of a holistic view as far as which horses and riders are going to be able to perform the best on the day in Tokyo. And of course, as we know, with the new Olympic format, having the three riders and no drop score, it's going to be extremely critical to choose the right combinations. And of course, that's not my job. That's the selector's job. But it's about really pushing everyone to be their best and driving them and I think we have like I said a fantastic group of riders and the other thing to really keep in mind is that there could be other combinations who aren't on this training list who step up in the spring and put their hand up and say hey don't forget about me so we want to make that clear as well that combinations can come from outside this training list as well it's not like the team will solely be built from who is on this training list so it really is again it's about creating that competition and really pushing everybody to step up and be the best on the day. So Jenny, it's, we're, we're now in November. It's the day after Thanksgiving. And um, it still feels like for me, I'm already getting primed up and like thinking about things and, but then I'm not very good at slowing down anyway. So I guess that's normal, but um we're soon going to be at the USCA convention. It is a requirement for all of the high performance listed riders to be present in Boston. Um, it, you've changed the system around. So we have a pretty much a full day of high performance uh, meetings. Some of those will be closed. Some of them will be open. Um, and then, of course, there are some new plans in place for next year. As far as I'm aware, maybe some tr training camps and various things and um, you know looking ahead to all that wh where are things kicking off with at the USCA convention what will be the prime focus you know looking forward to next year because I know you know Eric's always trying to change things up and make sure that we're all training together and under pressure together a bit more so you know just tell us a little bit about how we're looking at going forward early in 2020. Yeah definitely we really want to use the convention to set the tone for the following year. So it's going to be talking a lot about Eric's vision for next year and updates to his strategic plan, which he and I have been working on a lot for the last few weeks and we'll have that ready to roll out there. But it's really, again, building on his original vision for the program, which is key factors to look at, like planning uh, talent identification at all levels, including development and eventing 25, and then targeting our resources through benchmarking and accountability. So when we give grant money, we now have a very comprehensive preparation interview where we set target scores and really map out what goals we want each athlete to be 
achieving at those competitions. And then we also have a comprehensive review process after the competition to analyze what happened and talk about the key takeaways to take away. So it's a much more holistic approach when it comes to those resources and the grant money, but also just performance in general and really getting the athletes to analyze their performance on a deeper level. So it's going to be talking about that at convention. And then we hope that that's going to set the tone for next year, that everyone really needs to be thinking about how they can get better. And, you know, maybe you can't shave five marks off your dressage test, but maybe you can shave one or maybe you can shave two. And it's things like that that are going to make the difference between winning medals in Tokyo. So really getting everybody, you know, focused and in that performance space so that they can start thinking about being able to deliver the best again on the day at those early spring competitions on the day at the selection trials and then ultimately on the day in Tokyo. Well, I say, have to say it's been uh, about 18 months or so since I've been involved in a high performance program, but I'm impressed. I'm ready to sign back up to your high performance <laughs> program. Well, I mean, how do I get in? Oh, that's right. I can't. You need an American passport. But, for yeah, no, that's not going to happen. Sorry about that. And I'm too old and fat these days anyway. But, you know, uh, <laughs> that's uh, a very, very insightful listening to you there, Jenny. And I th- I'm just thinking that you and Eric seem like the absolute formidable team and what you're, you've, you've suddenly, you know, I say suddenly, it's not, it's not suddenly as of course, it's a bit, but what you're creating here and, and going to, uh, like you say, launch uh, at the, uh, the the conference. And um, yeah, I mean, I want to come to the conference. I've heard about this eventing conference, this new US, US uh, eventing <laughs> conference for, for years. And I've always thought it's just this most amazing, great idea and concept. And you keep developing it and building it. And now I've just listened to you and I, I want to go again. Now I really do want to go and, and experience it. And I'm thinking of all these ideas we should be stealing for, for uh, the UK <laughs> And, uh, and uh, indeed Australia. But um, uh, it, it's, uh, like I say, it seems like you guys are making a formidable team there. And it's not just uh, you and Eric. I mean, obviously, there's, there's lots of other executives. So, um, as well as the riders, of course. But you, you mentioned something really interesting at the beginning there. When you've, uh, you, yourself, and I want to talk about you for a little bit now, uh, is that you've made this transition from being mostly, I'm going to say mostly because I'm sure there was lots of other things going on, uh, a journalist into now being uh, an executive. And um, you mentioned that there's no off-season for you. You're, you're carrying on. And actually, for the riders, there is an off-season. They are switching off. They're all on holidays. They're all trying to not think about eventing too much at the moment, uh, or at least in, in Europe and, and and that uh so but you like you say you are this is your busy time you're full on into the planning so just tell us a little bit about the you know personally for yourself how's how's that change been from a very well-known journalist to now a even probably even more super well-known uh executive it's definitely been an interesting transition and again i feel now that i'm more settled into the role but it's definitely been something where I've had to completely shift the way that I look at the sport and think about the sport and interact with the sport, really. But I think part of my career, a huge part of my career was covering the U.S. venting team and telling the team's story over the last you know, six to seven years. And now to be on the other side of the fence and being able to help shape the story from that side is fascinating and something that drives me every day. So yeah, there's not an off season, but I'm not very good at sitting still anyway. And the work <laughs> drives me, the hustle drives me. I mean, I think anybody who's involved in the sport has to love the hustle and I definitely do. And so being able to be a part of rebuilding this program with Eric is, uh, 
it's a huge honor. And I think one of the things that drives Eric and I is building a program that people want to be a part of. And that's something that is a huge focus for me every day. Well, Jenny, I I was just going to say that um, I think one of your very first team trips after you took over this role was to Buklo, where we had um, a good a good team of riders, but we had fifty American supporters there (laughs) between owners or lots of owners, um, everything. And my goodness, it was a serious task for you to take on to to help manage all those people and make sure that they had a wonderful time as well. And I have to say, you did a great job, and and my owners had a wonderful time, and I think everyone did. But you. You certainly got yourself thrown in at the deep end with with such a huge crew of people, and um, I, I'm, I'm sure you were uh, you came away from that needing a really good sleep. But did you ever find yourself thinking, "What have I gotten myself into?" Or did you just um, pull up your socks and uh, and think, "This is it, and I'm ready"? I think I'm the type of person who prefers to just jump in feet first, you know, and then the rest will sort itself out after. I think what was so energizing about Bukalo was having 50 American owners and supporters there who all believe in Eric's program and want to see this country back on the podium. And that's the type of energy and positivity that we really want to keep building on. And we want, again, we want people to be a part of it. We want everyone to be a part of it, not just the owners and not just the supporters, but the fans and all the stakeholders across the board. We want everyone to feel invested and like they're a part of getting this team back to winning medals again. And so I thought Bukalo was, it was a great first team trip for me. It was a fantastic group of riders and it's definitely, again, something to build on. And I think every step that we continue to take, you know, convention will be another step to build on. We'll do our training camp in Wellington in January or the end of January, beginning of February, that'll be something to build on and we'll keep building and piece by piece, we're going to rebuild this program. And that's the way that we're approaching it. It's, it's methodical and it's going to, it's going to work. That's it's absolutely what drives us every day. Well, uh, you, you sold it to me already. Like you said, you want to make a system that everybody wants to be part of. I already said I want to be a part of it. So uh, I suspect <laughs> you are succeeding. And um, what's the benchmark going to be? What what sort of medals, uh, what colors and how many are you expecting in Tokyo? Because clearly you don't do this planning for no uh, reason whatsoever. Right. Well, the goal is a Go team on. medal at Tokyo. We've not put a color on it. And then a team and an individual medal at 2022 in Protoni. So that's what we're saying. And again, everything that we're doing is going to be geared around that. So we are going We are going for a medal in Tokyo. And I hope that everyone who's listening will cheer us on all the way. So one medal of any color in, in Tokyo, that's the aim. Then the, the box will be ticked. So uh, if you achieve over and above that an individual and a team then or two individuals or something of the kind, then uh, you're, you're over-delivered. Uh, yeah, then we'd be flying, indeed. Be, be flying, fantastic. Well, Jenny, thank you very much for your time on the Eventing Radio Show and taking out of, uh, some time out of your busy schedule uh, to tell our listeners all about your fantastic plans for the U.S. Uh, High Performance Eventing Program. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Eventing Riders Association of North America podcast. You can learn more about Eventing Riders Association of North America at eraofna.com. Find all the links to today's guests and topics at eventingradio.com. 
Follow Eventing Radio on Facebook. Just search The Eventing Radio Show. And we are on Twitter at Eventing Radio. You can, of course, listen to Eventing Radio anytime, anywhere with the free Horse Radio Network app for iPhone and Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. You can also subscribe via iTunes. I'm Liz Halliday-Sharp, and you can follow me on Facebook, Liz Halliday, on Twitter, at Liz Halliday, and on Instagram, Liz Halliday-Sharp, and also on our website, hseventing.com. And I've been Tappers in Your Ear, and I'm on Instagram at Tapner Eventing, on Facebook, Tapner Eventing Team, and on Twitter, Tapner Eventing. Thanks for listening.